0: This is The Feed. From Markham. From Richmond Hill. From Vaughan.
1: From Aurora. East Quillenbury. Whitchurch-Stouffville.
0: From everywhere you are, this is The Feed. York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here.
2: Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, the Canadian Toy Council warning to shop early, Mastermind's holiday play guide, and keeping our teens safe behind the wheel. But we begin with the great outdoors. One of the finest things about autumn here in our province is the color of fall as the leaves change from green to orange, red, and yellow. A spectacular sight, especially through the month of October. Destination Ontario has a weekly fall colors report this month detailing where the best places are to take it all in and when. More on that in a moment with Kevin Forget, Destination Ontario's favorite tour guide. But first, the science behind it all. Ben Cullen is a horticulturalist and you know it runs in the family, Mark Cullen. He joins us now with Fall Colors 101. Welcome to the feed, Ben.
3: Thanks so much, Anne. It's uh, really fun to be here.
2: Well, you know, the, what is it? Nut doesn't fall far from the tree. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We've had many great conversations <laughs> not, with you. Well, <laughs> in
3: my family. We'll go yeah. with that one.
2: Well, we've just enjoyed time with your father, Mark Cullen, and it's great to see that you are following in his footsteps, but you're creating your own path as well, Ben.
3: It's been really fun to work with my dad and be guided by him and also, mm-hmm. you know, to have the freedom to do some, some offshoot things as well. Uh, we're just having a lot of fun over here, Dad and I.
2: Sounds really great. All right. So we want this scientific look at fall colors. Why trees, leaves change color? So let's start with the color green. Why initially are leaves green? That's a funny thing to think about because obviously
3: trees are turning uh, sunlight into energy and producing sugars from it. And so what do, what do they produce? They produce chlorophyll and chlorophyll is reflected to us as green because green is the only color in the light spectrum that they can absorb and use. So you can actually think about the color green as, and it's a bit of a mind game, The color green is actually a waste product because it's the one color in the spectrum that plants are not actively converting into energy. And it's it's reflected back to us in the chlorophyll, which is, you know, the sugar produced by uh, photosynthesis uh, that gives us nice, rich greens all through the growing season.
2: And through that growing season, we see the beautiful green leaves and they're swaying in the breeze and they're staying attached to the tree. Then we hit fall. What happens and what does it have to do with why do the leaves change color?
3: So what's happening is, you know, change of temperature and daylight hours are signaling to the trees, you know, winter is coming. Winter is coming, and so those trees very smartly take the sugars that they've been producing all season and start to sock them away in their roots. And that's when the, the chlorophyll leaves the leaves, right? And what does it leave behind? Well, it leaves pigments. And, you know, not all trees are going to give you bright, brilliant reds and yellows. Oftentimes, they just go brown, and that's just the carbon matter that's left behind. Um, But a lot of the red comes from uh, a chemical called anthocyanin. Those are pigments that you're going to see in sugar maples. uh, and, And depending... It depends on a few things. It depends on the acidity of the environment. It also depends on the weather that we get. So different weather conditions can give you different vibrancy of color. And ideally, ideally, cool temperatures, cool temperatures are going to signal, okay, chlorophyll time to leaf, but it's also going to stimulate more, um, of that chemical production that is the anthocyanins, also carotenoids uh, that give you the orange and the red. So cool but not freezing, cool but not freezing, is going to give you the brightest, richest fall colors.
2: And, Ben, why do they eventually fall off?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, there's different theories for that, of course. But uh, essentially, uh, from an ecological standpoint, those fallen leaves then in turn feed the soil because the carbon, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we have such great, Soil in our part of the province here in southern Ontario is, however, many hundreds or thousands of years of tree leaves falling, uh, falling, and then um, decomposing onto the, the the surface of the forest floor, uh, decomposing into compost, natural mulch. That carbon then going back into the soil and coming up through the roots, feeding other plant uh, plants uh, material sort of on the forest floor. So there's, there's a broad ecological purpose that it plays. And then for the plant itself, it's about new growth. So oftentimes, you know, they're putting on new branches and new leaves uh, are sort of the leading edge of that, depending on how the plant grows. So uh, it's about reaching ever further, ever uh, higher to the sky. Um, it's all part of the regenerative cycle.
2: So science, the fall colors 101, you did a great job. So let's move the science aside and let's you put another hat on. And that would be just as a, as a tree lover, as, a, as a, a man who really appreciates everything that grows on our green earth. Are you able to look at the fall colors, the gorgeous trees in southern Ontario at this particular point as they're turning? Can you look at them and just go, wow, like the rest of us?
3: oh yes absolutely i can and you know more than ever uh because i have a five-month-old son my first baby uh my wife and i had back in may and uh, peter is just at that stage where he's a bit tactile and he can hold and he can crush fallen leaves in his hand and he is absolutely fascinated by leaves, especially at this time of year when they crunch between his fingers. And to see it all with fresh eyes really changes my perspective again. And what a year to be five months old because all oh, this cool, wet weather we've been having and yet not quite freezing has given us just a spectacular display in 2021.
2: Wow. So from Mark to Ben to Peter, the foliage family tradition continues. Ben Cullen, thanks so much for joining us on the feed. Fascinating.
3: Thank you, and it's been really fun.
2: As promised, Destination Ontario's favorite tour guide, Kevin Forgette, who is literally on the road right now tracking the fall colors. Thank you for pulling over to talk with us safety first, Kevin.
4: (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Yes, I've actually pulled over my vehicle. I am in beautiful Minden right now. So in the Halliburton area. And I have to tell you, Anne, the drive from York Region, taking those winding roads up along 48, then 35, and making my way through Minden is Absolutely spectacular. The fall colors right now are beautiful.
2: So we understand the science behind it, thanks to Ben Cullen. Let's talk about the majesty and the beauty. Can you describe what you're seeing right now?
4: Yeah, I'm going to do my best over radio. I'll tell you, the fall colors right now in this area are almost at peak, which means that almost all of the trees that are going to change color have changed color. So now they're going to hang on, hopefully, for another week or so. So it's really important that if people are planning their fall getaways, especially to the Halliburton area, Muskoka area, you do it over the next week or so. But the good news is, if you are looking to enjoy the fall colors in York region and more into southern Ontario, we still do have a couple of weeks to be able to enjoy
5: those colors.
2: We've had unusually warm weather of late. Does that help to kind of stall the changing of the colors so that we don't lose them too quickly? Uh,
4: Not really. I mean, the truth of it is warm days and cool nights Changes them. So it meant that the colors changed pretty quickly. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was driving up to Muskoka even a week and a half ago, and the colors were not that changed yet. I went to that exact same area literally five days later, and the colors changed that quickly. So, you know, we do have a beautiful fall season in Ontario, but it is a short season, and that's why we're really encouraging people to make sure they get out and enjoy it over the next couple of weeks because, you know, I'll do a little knocking sound. <laughs> Winter is on our back door, so, you know, we want to make sure we take advantage of the fall colors right now.
2: And there are so many wonderful things to do in the winter, and we'll be talking about that with you in the months to come, but let's get back to the fall colors. So, is it something that is internationally appreciated? I know that Ontarians do, they get it, they love it, they they want to see it, but is it something beyond our borders that is uh, appreciated?
4: Oh, like 150,000%. Normally, our <laughs> borders are wide open and uh, we're, we're welcoming visitors from all over the world. Fall is one of the most popular times for tourists to come here. So, you know, obviously, we're not seeing the numbers this year because of COVID restrictions. But that's why us Ontarians need to realize we have this beauty right in our own backyard. And we're really encouraging people to rediscover our own province. Pick a road trip. You know, it doesn't have to be an overnight stay. It doesn't have to be a three-day getaway. Just kind of hopping in the car. Maybe if you're listening this weekend, make sure, you know, you turn your radio on and listen during the drive of your show while you're (laughs) doing it. But you know, maybe, you know, plan something over the next couple of days because it can just be a day trip to, you know, one of the Ontario parks across the province. It doesn't have to be, you know, three-day getaways.
2: What if you want to camp? And that's something that I think a lot of people have been encouraged to do to spend time in the great outdoors, particularly as we are emerging from this pandemic.
4: Camping season does not end after the may after the last long weekend. So after Labor Day, you know, we we, we don't the parks don't shut down. And the nice part is that they've realized that camping is becoming more and more popular during the fall season. So Ontario parks has now expanded the amount of parks that are offering camping right through till the end of October. So October 31st, places like arrowhead provincial park, just north of Huntsville, uh, balsam Lake provincial park, near Coboconk, um, even Kilbear out in the Perry Sound area, or even more into Southern Ontario, Sandbanks Provincial Park, on the shores of Lake Ontario. Uh, they're open also until October the 31st, so they're open seven days a week for camping. and But if you don't want to do the overnights, you can still do day trips to these parks and other parks. You know, not far... From, you know, York Region, we have Earl Row Provincial Park in Alliston. So just, you know, I'd say 60 kilometers outside of Vaughn, maybe, you're going to head to Earl Row and you can do a walk around there for the day too. So Ontario Parks embracing fall. And they're one of the big partners we're working with for our fall
5: color report.
2: And back to those fall colors, I think about the sound of leaves crunching under your feet when you're hiking or the sound of the leaves as they're as they're being run over by your tires if you're bicycling. There's so many things you can do outside. Rather than just stand still and look at the colors, you can actually be a part of them.
4: You can, and that's where we're really encouraging people to, you know, take those road trips, but also stop the car and find the hiking trails. We list on our report each week different areas around the province. So, how does it has to be, you know, in the York Region area? We even last week, and it's nice because when you go to, uh, and I'll kind of do the plug of where you can find it at Ontario Travel on Twitter, and even mine at Ontario Kevin. Each week it's posted, but it's also archived where you can go back and look at, you know, hiking trails in the Niagara area, you know, going to hiking trails, the Bruce Trail. Um, Also, one of the big areas that I love during fall, and it's nice because you will have a bit more of an opportunity to visit this area because it's in the Thousand Islands area. The leaves are not changing as quickly there, is the, the Long Sioux Trail. And what it is, it's 11 islands, over 11 kilometers, driving through the Thousand Islands, mm-hmm. looking at the water, looking at the leaves changing. You can hike it, you can bike it, <laughs> and you can drive it.
2: Love it. All right. So my favorite place uh, to watch and to look at the vista around me, which which would include water, Georgian Bay in this case, but also the changing leaves, It's at the top of Georgian Peaks. I love to hike from the ground right up to the top of the mountain. takes me a little longer these days because of not-so-great knees, but it's worth it. So I turn around, and I look, and I embrace, and I thank goodness for all of the beauty before me. Where is your favorite place to take it all in at this time of the year? I'm going to
4: say it's in a similar area to yours. I just did it last week, is the Scenic Caves Adventure area and so it used to be the scenic Kids nordic center and they have a suspension bridge overlooking Georgian Bay. So, you know, you can hike up like Ann. I'm not that athletic, so I'm giving big (laughs) kudos to you, but it's a little bit more of a leisure walk down to the suspension bridge. Same thing, overlooking Georgian Bay on a clear day. You can even see the sands of the Saga Beach, all the leaves changing. So I would say that's probably one of my favorite areas for sure.
2: What is important in the weekly fall colors report? What should we be looking for and what should we be uh, enjoying and putting to good use? What you should be enjoying is the fact that there are so many options of ways to enjoy
4: this season. And so resorts are open and they're offering, you know, different, you know, menus that embrace fall. You know, there's ways for people to enjoy it by doing the different festivals. Festivals are now back. Um, You know, if you're listening this weekend, you know, the the Bala Cranberry Festival is happening this weekend, so, you know, maybe head up there this afternoon or, or whatever. It's happening all weekend long. So make sure that, you know, you take advantage of all these things that are now coming back and go out and support all of these businesses, even along the way, you know, I saw while I was driving up here. The chip trucks are open, you know, the ice cream places are open. Stop by and really just take it all in, take a breath of fall in, mm-hmm. and enjoy some of the the treasures along the
2: way. And that fresh air it does the heart, lungs, and the soul some real good. That's for sure. All right, I don't want to put you on the spot, but this is the weekend of the sixteenth, seventeenth of October. What are we looking forward mm-hmm. to in terms of festivals and get-togethers in Ontario? Let's say the twenty third, twenty fourth, and the thirtieth. 30th, 30th. 31st of October. So with the festivals right now, there's not
4: a ton. There's not a lot of festivals that are still up and running, but the nice part is is that each of the little towns are doing different events. So what we do is we list on our website, destinationontario.com, uh, different areas around the province, and you can click on those different regions and it lists what's happening across the province, like right across Ontario. So, you know, if you wanted to Thunder Bay to Ottawa, Windsor to Toronto, um, things are starting to happen right now. I would say because of fall, um, there's some big things happening um, not far from the GTA um, uh, down in. Um, Milton, it's Pumpkins After Dark, a drive-through event where you can drive through and see beautiful carved pumpkins. Um, Also, if you want to head up to, um, I mentioned it earlier, the Thousand Islands, but Kingston area, uh, Fort Henry, a great part of Ontario history of Fort Henry and the Kingston area, but they have pumpkin Furno, 7,000 hand-carved pumpkins that you can drive through for an event and see that. Um, it's It's spectacular, like one of the coolest events I've ever seen in my life. Carved pumpkins, all stacked on top of each other. Some of them stacked to make themselves look like dragons and tigers, and it's pretty spectacular. So, pumpkin events right now are huge. And of course, right in York Region, uh, we have the Halloween Hunt happening at Canada's Wonderland.
2: Boo! I just wanted to scare you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you scared me. Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, before we say goodbye, where can people go? Where can our listeners go to find out more about everything you just talked about for the month of October?
4: So Our website, DestinationOntario.com, has great lookout points, blogs on fall, but uh, the key thing is head to the Twitter account for at Ontario Travel or at Ontario Kevin. Every Thursday, it's going to be posted there for fall color reports. Still a couple of weeks of the different reports um, to enjoy fall right here in Ontario.
2: Can you put your keys in the ignition and, and turn on your vehicle once again? Here we go. I'm
4: going to get my motor running, and oh. I'm going to listen to 105.9, <laughs> the region, the whole rest of the
2: drive. You are fantastic. Destination Ontario's Kevin Forget. happy trails and safe ones as well. Thank you so much, Ann. Thanks, Kevin. After the break, holiday toy shopping.
0: Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region.
2: Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. Okay, it's October, but it's never too early to start your holiday toy shopping. Jim Lang explains.
0: Yeah, I know it's October, but hey, we got to start thinking about the holidays and holiday shopping and Christmas shopping now, so we're not unprepared and realize that it's you know the time is running out fast. To talk more about holiday shopping and how it's going to be a little bit different this year, thrilled to be speaking to the owner and CEO of the Canadian Toy Association, Andrew Wagger. Andrew, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Well, excellent. This is this is very different, again, because of the pandemic. And one thing I keep hearing about is supply chain issues, not just in Canada, but North America and around the world. For, for people listening, how will that affect us heading into the holiday season doing shopping?
4: It's been widely reported that there are very serious supply chain issues worldwide that are affecting almost every industry imaginable from you know, consumer electronics to furniture the children's toys. And when it comes to children's toys, the big impact is going to be that certain toys uh, are going to sell out faster than normal and they're going to be replenished um, shorter or, or take a lot longer to replenish than usual, resulting in uh, potential – inventory shortages, uh, you know, when we head into these later fall months, like November and December.
0: Well, that was going to be my next question. I know my wife and a lot of her girlfriends, they they sort of plan their shopping around Black Friday in that late November, so they're ready for a month or now. But what you're saying, some of the stuff they're looking for may not be there by then.
4: Not only will it uh, potentially not be there, but, um, you know, as you were saying, you know, many people do plan their holiday shopping, starting around that Black Friday timeframe because they want to take advantage of annual holiday season discounts, it's expected that those discounts may not be available this year. So there really isn't going to be a huge benefit to waiting in terms of price, and uh, it may actually work against you in terms of inventory shortages. So we're The Canadian Toy Association is recommending that consumers do start their holiday toy shopping earlier this year, maybe even in the month of October, if they want to get certain items that their children have their eye on or that they have their eye on.
0: Speaking to Andrew Wagger, he's the owner and CEO of the Canadian Toy Association, and and I, I mean, this number sort of shocked me when I looked at it. Toy companies are facing shipping price increases ranging from over 500 to up to 800%. Andrew, how is that possible? Why?
4: You know, there is a long list of challenges that are facing the supply chain, including, uh, like you said, rising container prices, a shortage of ships that are available to transport goods, rising ground transportation costs, um, a big glut of, of products that uh, were stalled to be manufactured due to factory shutdowns and other shutdowns. And then when they all came forward at the same time and, and, and were ready to go at the same time, it resulted in a, just a huge backlog that has yet to be cleared. And you're right. The, the, the impact is uh, because there's such a shortage on shipping containers, the prices increased you know, some some of those containers that used to sell for three thousand dollars are now going for over twenty-four thousand dollars, and it's creating uh, some pretty significant issues and challenges.
0: So, for the retailer, Andrew, if uh, you know a parent's thinking, I'm going to buy my child this toy. Last year, probably retailed for fifty. What are we looking at? Seventy-five, close to a hundred this year?
4: You know, I have not heard of any price increases at the retail level being passed on to consumers at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but currently it isn't. And I would say that that is yet another good reason for consumers to start their holiday toy shopping earlier because the closer we get to that December 24th date, the higher the demand for toys will be, the, the smaller the supply will be, and then inevitably, typically what happens is the higher the price. So if you start your shopping now, not only will you find the items that you want and they should be available, but the price that you pay may actually be better than what you're going to get later in the season.
0: Speaking with Andrew Wagger from the Canadian Toy Association, you can get more details at uh, CanadianToyAssociation.ca, that's CanadianToyAssociation.ca, and I'm glad you brought up the last minute thing, and I, I follow Peter Mansbridge on Twitter, and he was famous for on christmas eve uh, live tweeting as he went around to different stores in the gta buying his christmas shopping and i have buddies that wait till like the 23rd or 24th to get it all done but as you're explaining if you, that you may be completely out of luck you might be have to go to the local gas station and get someone some road salt for christmas because there won't be any toys left you
4: know waiting for the last minute or or even to black friday and shopping you know, during those last three to four weeks before uh, December 24th is always stressful, and it's always challenging. This year will be no exception. It may be even harder than in years past.
0: In, in your experience, I mean, you didn't get to be in your position without having a, just incredible depth of knowledge about the industry and everything. Have you ever seen anything like this, what we're experiencing right now, Andrew?
4: Every year there are certain hot toys that sell out faster than others. And, and it's an annual occurrence, and uh, I have seen many, many toys uh, go, you know, boom and, and become the hot toy and be very hard to find and sell on sites like eBay for, you know, double, triple, yeah. sometimes even, you know, 10 times the price. Everyone remembers, well, anyone my age anyways remembers the big Tickle Me Elmo craze that yeah. happened back in, say, 2010, I believe. Yeah. So. But I've never seen anything like this where the entire global supply chain, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about toys, consumer electronics, furniture, and, and on down, has been affected by this. I mean, anything you buy right now could potentially face a shipping delay of upwards of, of some cases three to four months. You know, if, if a parent has their eye on a toy and they purchase it online, and the item is short, that item might not arrive at your house until after the holiday season, right? And nobody wants to give an IOU or, or a gift card or an empty box with a note in it, you know. So that's why we're, we're recommending that parents start early. We understand that October is an unusual time to think about holiday season in the shop, but it, you, you, it could really work in your favor if you do
0: You know, Andrew, in the big picture, I think this is an eye-opening lesson listening to this interview for our listeners about how things affect other things in life. If you hear about, hey, there's a shortage of truck drivers and there's problems with uh, shipping containers across the high seas, you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. But then you come time to do some holiday shopping, you're like, oh, wait a sec, that affects me and my family.
4: It it, it does. I mean, it affects... It's affecting every aspect of the entire global economy, really. I mean, computer chips are in extremely short supply. Microprocessors are in short supply. Furniture is very challenging to get. Children's toys are extremely challenging to get. Really, anything that is manufactured, you know, outside of of North America or that has parts that are manufactured outside North America are hard. I mean, there's even stories right now about, the, the current backlog and of manufacturing in the automotive sector due to computer chips. Um, everything in, in the world is being affected by this. Nobody knows when this backlog is going to be cleared, uh, and we are entering into the single biggest consumer holiday shopping of the uh, period of the year, which means there it will definitely keep going until at least January, and then we may have – a calmer period between January and say March or April when things may right themselves a little bit, mm-hmm. but the water and, and are just going to keep getting rougher. The so shipping times are just going to keep getting more delayed and the challenges are just going to keep getting more severe uh, from now until the end of December.
0: Well, and you think about toys now in 2021, 2022, Andrew, try to find a toy that doesn't have a computer chip in it.
4: Absolutely. I mean, Smart, smart toys are a very popular thing educational toys are, are a huge a huge industry and the whole stem uh, toy sector is is, uh, is massive there are computer chips and all kinds of you know products uh, you know within the supply chain that incorporate things I mean there have been reports of just simple raw materials like plastic being in short supply so it's it, The impact of this is is extremely real. It's being felt up and down the supply chain. And, um, you know, it will pose some challenges for parents uh, as we head into the holiday season if they don't plan ahead.
0: the lesson of this is buy your toy and buy it fast and get it done. Otherwise, you'll be out of luck. Andrew Wagger is the owner and CEO of the Canadian Toy Association. Get all the information you need at their great website, canadiantoyassociation.ca. Andrew, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. It's greatly appreciated. All the best.
2: Tina Cortez is next with Hot Toys from Mastermind.
6: That's right, Anne. Online and arriving in mailboxes next week is the Holiday Play Guide. With this year's wish list is Susan Anderson, Vice President, Marketing and Brand at Mastermind Toys. Susan, I am looking forward to this one. So many of us are still kids at heart, right? Absolutely. Okay, so we've heard stories about supply issues. Is Mastermind concerned that the favourite hot toy
1: will not be stocked in time for the holidays? Mastermind Toys is Canada's authority on play and we're in the toy business every day of the year. And, you know, we're really grateful for 37 years of partnership that we've had with our vendors and the brands that we sell. So going into this holiday season, we anticipated the supply challenges that are impacting every industry. Uh, But as a specialty toy retailer, uh, all year round, we're well equipped to support the early demand of customers that we're already seeing. You know, we had our holiday wrapping paper ready in stores in August, and I'll tell you, that was not too early for the demand (laughs) that we're seeing from customers.
6: No, I guess not. So tell us about this year's toy guide and the top toys this year. Let's start with the babies.
1: Great, this is the fun part the fun part. Mm-hmm. So Mastermind Toys launched our baby brand this year, Mastermind Toys Baby, with an expanded assortment of toys and books that help with baby's development. So here are a few of my favorites. The Skip Hop farm stand beatbox crawl toy. This is a beat-shaped toy that moves around the floor as the baby engages with it and helps them with their gross motor skills as they crawl around trying to catch it. The Happy Whale Music Fountain. It's a bath toy that creates little fountains and plays music um, as the kid engages with it, and these little fountains go throughout a bunch of different whales on the fountain. The Kinderfeet Rainbow Arches is a wooden rainbow-colored arches. These are those arches that can stack. They can make designs on the floor. They can roll around, and it really is up to a child's imagination for how they play with them, and they also just look beautiful sitting on the shelf in the playroom, which I think every parent appreciates. And then finally, there's a Geno stacking stones. These are another really beautiful toy that fosters development of babies' fine motor skills and physics principles as they learn to stack them up, see them fall down, and create designs with them.
6: All right, so we've got books, we've got bath time covered, we've got rainbow arches, stacking stones. What
1: about um, an item for the older kids? For older kids, I mean, we have a very wide selection for a number of ages. A few of my favorites are the Lego Harry Potter and Hermione Granger build. These are 10-inch tall Lego builds with moving arms and legs. They have a ton of detail in the the body, the eyes, the face, and the hair, Uh, and they're great for uh, a more advanced builder and anybody, of course, who's a Harry Potter fan. The GraviTrax Marble Run is a 3D marble track that experiments with gravity, magnetism, and kinetics. It's that old school, old school marble run with a really futuristic twist, and half the fun is just designing how you want the marble run to grow, and then and then watching the marbles go down it. Brio has a line of smart tech trains that are absolutely fantastic. So um, it's smart tech trains that go around the track and they respond to different spots on the track, different tunnels, um, and again kids can decide exactly how they want to design the track um, and what that looks like. And this year, coming soon, Brio is launching a uh, train that has working steam release. And so you get that battery-operated steam release that really um, mimics a real train, and that's one of my top favorites for the year.
6: Absolutely. And, you know, it sounds
1: like trains and
6: tracks never go out of style.
1: Yeah, these classics toys just continue to innovate and bring... Uh, more exciting features to engage kids and um, extend the playtime uh, and, and continue to develop different, um, uh, different skills and child development that I think is really an exciting twist on these classic toys.
6: So what about the kids at heart and those of us who have tried to find ways over this last little while to be creative in finding ways to enjoy our togetherness?
1: Yeah, I think more than ever we're going to see um, a a real increase in the excitement for toys to foster togetherness and things we can do together. Uh, One of my favourites is Adult Lego. We have uh, a few really cool kits. One is the new um, Adidas Original Superstar Shoe. So, I mean, it looks exactly like an Adidas shoe, which I think is uh, fun for lots of adults. The Lego Creator Bonsai Tree... And uh, the NASA Space Shuttle Discovery, so really more advanced builds that are exciting for adults. And then, of course, the Lego art Kits, Beatles, Star Wars, Marilyn Monroe, Harry Potter, DC Comics. This, these are Lego builds that you can hang on your wall and continue to enjoy. Uh, and then for more active play, um, you know, we've got the Lighthawk Big Tom Remote Control 4x4. And so this is one that an adult can play with inside or take it outside and um, um, sort of really fun for the kid at heart. And then a bit of nostalgia with Playmobil, we have nostalgic Volkswagen van and Beetle models uh, that, are, that are really fun to put together. And then, um, you know, a classic is just our Ravensburger puzzles. We have um, 3D puzzles up to 540 pieces, and then we have the bigger sets of the classic puzzles, um, a thousand pieces, Plus, that have beautiful scenes. um, And, you know, those ones are great if you're taking a couple of vacation days and you can work on them over time. Um, Really fun to build.
6: So many options for kids of all ages. Where can our listeners learn more and
1: start their shopping? We have our digital play guide online launched today at mastermindtoys.com. We have printed copies in our stores coast to coast. And they'll be arriving in mailboxes across the country any day now.
6: Looking forward to it. Susan Anderson from Mastermind Toys. Thank you for joining us on the feed.
2: Thank you so much. When we come back, tip tap for poppies.
0: Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region.
2: Welcome back. The annual Poppy Campaign will be kicking off in just a couple of weeks ahead of Remembrance Day on November 11. It's a very important annual fundraising initiative that provides much-needed and respectful financial support for our veterans. So, let's right now add another layer to this story. The TipTap Foundation is the charitable arm of TipTap, a touchless giving solution. This foundation helps organizations who rely on coins and small change to receive the donations that they might otherwise have missed as we move closer to becoming a cashless and coinless society. Chris Greenfield is the founder and CEO of TipTap and he joins us now on the feed. Great to hear from you, Chris. Thank you.
7: Thanks, Ann. Thanks for having me on the show.
2: How and why was TipTap born?
7: Uh, I think it was really through a feeling of empathy for Valet. Uh, you know, it was a number of years ago and cash and coin was already disappearing And I didn't have anything to tip with them and they didn't have the means to accept a credit card. So literally on the spot, I said, what if you had this little button that people could tap and whatever amount was on there went directly into your account? And he was so excited about it. At that point, I just started looking into it and really we haven't stopped since.
2: And what is it in your background that would allow you to come up with this great idea and actually make it a reality?
7: Uh, I, I think I was always a, a packaged goods, kind of consumer goods, um, advertising, kind of marketing, innovation, a number of different organizations, always coming up with new solutions for for people and understanding people. So um, all of that background just kind of led to tip-tap and being able to build the, the company, the device, and now really just kind of driving collections for all the charities that we support.
2: I looked at your website and I was really very moved by it. The TipTap Foundation is founded as a company rooted in empathy and in giving back for the greater good of the communities we live and work in. That's, that's just great, Chris.
7: Thank you. um, It really is who we are, and I think it's one of the things we're we're obviously most proud of is how much help the Foundation is able to give to those in need.
2: So let's explain that. First of all, how does it work?
7: Uh, The Foundation is typically it's the causes that we stand for. Um, Right now, we're very much focused on the homelessness issue that really kind of goes across North America, and what we do is we actually use the tip tap devices to collect from communities, and then we take all of those proceeds and distribute it to the, those that actually help the cause. So it'll be small soup kitchens, it'll be individual uh, members that are out there kind of helping the people on the street, and they've kind of dedicated their lives, and they don't have a lot of support. We're there to give them that support through the foundation, and the tip tap devices is just the initial facilitator of collecting the the donations in today's cashless society.
2: And so, do the organizations that help support those who need help uh, do do they ha- have to have a a device at their disposal? I mean, how does all of that work logistically? Well, the devices
7: actually are uh, owned by the TipTap Foundation. So the TipTap Foundation collects on behalf of those beneficiaries, and then the foundation distributes the uh, funds to those groups to help. So we, we try to make it very, very easy. So, um, you know, we're helping. On, it, it makes it easy that we can collect from the community, and then we can kind of channel it towards those that help the most.
2: So with any luck, we won't be hearing, sorry, no change, much longer.
7: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. With TipTap, it really removes that and it allows people to give when they have that impulse and that moment of desire to give. And even if they don't have any change, everybody has a credit card, debit card, or a mobile wallet on them at at all times. So um, the great thing about TipTap, it allows you to really collect funds from anyone.
2: Is there a minimum amount of money that needs to be put forward in order for it to work?
7: No, we're preset amounts. We make it super easy. What you see on the device is what you, you give. Um, and typically we're around $2, two, ten, twenty. 10, 20. Um, it depends on the charity. Um, yeah, it's, there, there really isn't a, a, a minimum, um, but $2 is typically where we start.
2: And definitely no maximum. You want people to be encouraged to give as much as they feel comfortable. So what are the organizations that you're working with right now?
7: Uh, we work with a number of organizations. Um, the Legion, uh, UNICEF, the Red Cross, uh, the Children's Hospital Network, um, the, the the Lions Club. Um, you know, Salvation Army is our one of our best clients and one of our first large clients, and now we're we're going to be collecting for them across North America, and I'd say them and the, the Legion and Tim Horton's Camp Foundation are um, the clients that have grown with us most substantially.
2: That's excellent. And... Let's talk now about Remembrance Day, November 11th. It's so meaningful to so many people, all generations. The Poppy Campaign, which begins uh, shortly, it's a very important fundraiser for uh, for veterans who need some financial assistance and veterans of all ages and of all wars. So, how is Tip Tap and the Tip Tap Foundation involved with that fundraising effort, that fantastic fundraising effort?
7: yeah it, the legion um largely uh, is dependent on the cash and coin collections but now, as we've seen pennies nickels dimes, you know now nobody really carries cash and coin anymore they they There's substantial issues with collecting cash and coin in the traditional methods they used to the tip tap device is just a simple replacement of that it's actually a little bit easier than digging into your pocket and fumbling around with change. All you need to do is pull a card from your wallet and then tap the device in the amount that you want to give. Um, so our hope is that it actually makes the ability to give to all those that have the desire to give. And the Legion is extremely important to us. We, we actually s- started supporting veterans um, with wounded warriors and, um, and that was really because one of our staff members was really, really close to that cause and uh, traveled to Vimy Ridge, uh, participated in a number of their fundraising efforts. And, you know, we just built that into then supporting the, the Legion as well. And we're very proud to be a part of that program and, and support not, not only the veterans, but really um, all the first responders in uniform, um, Officers that are involved with the Legion now.
2: Is it my understanding that the Legion will accept donations all year round, not just during the Poppy campaign? Yeah, I believe you can.
7: Um, not directly through our solution. Our solution is very much focused on the Remembrance Day campaign. Uh, we do have the hope to expand it so that it's in every Legion location, encouraging everyone to give when they have the desire. Um, but you can go to the, the Legion website or to your local Legion and, and make a donation any time of the year.
2: So here's an odd question. When we make a donation to a veteran who is positioned somewhere on the streets of, of our wonderful York region, you, you get a poppy in exchange for the donation that you're making. How does that work when when that sort of physical uh, contact is eliminated?
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very simple. Um this year, the boxes have the tap devices where you don't actually have to make direct contact. You just come within the vicinity of the amount you want to pay. Um, so it's a tough, touchless tap. And then you simply you pull the single poppy out of the box um, that you want to proudly uh, demonstrate your support by wearing it. Um, so really, there's no need uh, for that direct interaction uh, there will be veterans obviously uh, manning some of the devices, but there will be a lot of the, the devices and the collection devices that will be unmanned, um, especially in a lot of the HSBC branches, which is the major supporter of the, uh, the program this year.
2: And it's a very safe way in terms of the pandemic to make a donation, but also in terms of, I guess, avoiding robberies. And I remember in years past that there's been the odd uh, culprit criminal who has the audacity to steal a poppy donation box.
7: Yeah, and it's... It's an issue that doesn't only affect the, the Legion and the poppy, poppy donation. It also affects, you know, Ronald McDonald House and the Tim Hortons Foundation camps and really Lions Club, Rotary Clubs, anywhere where there is a, a cash and coin box, um, you know, they're, they're apt to get faster or some shrinkage or that kind of thing. But what, what our solution does is the money goes directly to the, the charity. So there isn't any value in the the devices or the display. Um, There isn't any data or personal information stored there. So it's completely secure. So the worst thing somebody can do if they steal one of the devices is they can tap and give to the charity, which Mm. we'd be very happy if
2: they did that. (laughs) In other words, making amends. (laughs) Yeah. Chris Greenfield, the founder and CEO of TipTap and also TipTap Foundation, the charitable fundraising arm of TipTap. Thank you for everything you're doing. Really, really appreciate it.
7: Thanks so much, Ann. And please, if you do see a TipTap device out there, tap to give and help those who need
2: it the most. Tap to give. Well done. Tap to give. Thank you, Chris. Next, we turn our attention to teen drivers. Tina Cortez with the Speed is No Game campaign. Kelly Tien is Vice President,
6: Communications and Marketing at Parachute. Thanks for your time, Kelly. Thank you for having me on the show. Before we focus on the teen driver safety campaign, tell us about Parachute.
5: Well, Parachute is Canada's national charity dedicated to injury prevention. And we focus on the prevention of injuries that could happen at home, So things like child safety, poison prevention, injuries that could happen in sport and at play, so things like preventing and recognizing and managing concussions and injuries from falls, and also injuries that could happen when we're on the move, and that includes road safety, which is quite a large part of the work we do, and that's the umbrella under which our National Team Driver Safety Program lives.
6: All right, so let's get to it. Tell us about the National Teen Driver Safety Week.
5: National Teen Driver Safety Week happens the third full week in October each year. Uh, It happens in the U.S. as well as Canada, and Parachute is the Canadian lead for National Teen Driver Safety Week in this country. What we do is we reach out to teens, and we do consider it teens and also people in their early 20s, so young drivers, people who are starting out in their driving career. In past days, before COVID times, we did a lot of work activating things like school assemblies and peer-to-peer education and programs where peers, teens could talk to other teens about safety issues on the road. We've had to change our approach the last couple of years with COVID restrictions because there aren't those kind of large assembly events that we've seen in the past. So Parachute has done more work... uh, coming up with approaches to speak directly to teens. And one of the key ways of doing that, of course, is through social media, creating campaigns that we engage teenagers and hope that they talk about the messaging they see and are influenced
6: by it. So do you have people on those social media platforms connecting with young people and young drivers?
5: This year, in fact, we have two individuals,
6: two very uh, well-known
5: Canadians who are champions for our Speed is No Game theme. We do focus this year on speeding as one of the key issues for team drivers because, as we've seen in the last couple of years, As roads emptied out with less travel due to COVID, we saw a lot of incidents of stunt driving and speeding driving, and many of those drivers who were ticketed and fined for those kind of offenses were, in fact, young drivers, predominantly young male drivers. So we wanted to make sure to reach out and bring out the issues about why speeding was so dangerous and such a factor that needs to be considered if we're going to improve safety and in-depth on our roads not have the kind of teen deaths we have, because it is a very serious issue. Motor vehicle crashes are the third leading cause of death for people in this age group. And also, teens are more likely to be speeding at the time of a fatal crash than other age groups. So it's it's a really important issue. The Formula One driver, Nicholas Latifi, is Canadian. He has 300,000 followers on Instagram, and he is supporting our campaign. We have billboards featuring Nicholas that will be appear across Canada thanks to donations from our media partners at Vendo Media and Outfront Media. These will be across Canada. We also have the champion snowboarder, Laura Duan, a silver medalist in the Olympics. And she is creating a couple of videos that she is going to share with her followers on Instagram. And we'll be talking about some of these very uh, compelling reasons and the statistics behind why it is so important to watch your speed when you drive.
6: And the statistics are frightening. And, And Kelly, you mentioned connecting with young people, you know, where they live in terms of the social media platforms. But how do you really get the message to them? Because so many think that they're invincible, that nothing is going to happen to them.
5: You're absolutely right. There is that attitude. A couple of factors we use, besides having that sort of peer-to-peer approach or people that young people admire, uh, we hope that is one way. Another way is the way we are approaching the theme. We're actually taking a video game approach. We're saying, hey, you know, sort of jamming the expectation. Look, we're driving along. It's a video game. woo But when it's in real life, the consequences are dire as opposed to just a game. So, speed is no game. The whole concept of the campaign is around driving home that point. We also know from research that teens are more likely to be concerned about what they might do to someone else. They may not be concerned about themselves and feel invincible, but if you drive the point home that their behavior could harm somebody else, that will stop them and have them think about what it is they're going to do. So, for instance, one statistic we use in this campaign, and I think it's very powerful, that if you're driving at 50 kilometers an hour, you are six times more likely to kill a pedestrian if you hit them with your car than if you were driving 30 kilometers an hour. Now, that one just blows people away. Mm -hmm. If you're driving 30 kilometers an hour and you hit a pedestrian, you could injure them potentially. But you are six times more likely to kill that person if you were driving 50 kilometers. Now, that's something that certainly helped me to keep my foot off the gas pedal a bit when I'm driving in areas, school zones, and places like that. And that's the kind of, of fact that when you drive at home, I think teens as well resonate with that, well, hey, you know, like I'm invincible, but I don't want my little brother to be hit and die. So we hope that the combination of the kind of messaging, the fact that we're using social media influencers and and very well-regarded athletes to communicate to the youth, and also parents play an important role as well, because teens still are influenced by what their parents say and do.
6: So what can parents say and do? How can they help? One of the best things you can do as a
5: parent to influence your team when it comes to safe driving practices is be a safe driver yourself. If you're swearing at the other drivers, if you're honking your horn, if you're weaving around, if you're zooming and speeding and not following the rules of the road, your team sees that. Your child sees that growing up, and when they get behind the wheel, they're going to think that that's okay. You can give them the big speech about safe driving and read them all, but if you don't walk the talk or drive the talk, as in this case, you're not going to really uh, connect with your kids when it comes to this. So best thing you can do is be a safe driver yourself. Model that good behavior. And know that there's reasons why there are speed limits. There are reasons why we shouldn't get behind the wheel when we been drinking or have used cannabis, there are very good reasons why we should not be using a cell phone while we drive or trying to text, because that kind of distraction. Driving is, a, is an incredible skill, and you are driving two tons of metal. You can do a lot of harm with that. It is not a game. So when you drive, you need to focused on your task, which means following the rules of the road, obeying speed limits and not being impaired by anything, whether it's alcohol or texting. They're both impairments.
6: Good reminders for every driver out there. Speed is no game. Where can listeners access more information, Kelly?
5: You can look up the information, lots of statistics, information, tip sheets, uh, lots of things to read at
2: parachute.ca slash game. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.